We're talking with Jim Jordan, the famous Fibber McGee from the Fibber McGee and Molly days of the good old days of radio, and we're, well, we're right about at 79 Wistful Vista now in our trip through the main street of yesterday on radio. Jim Jordan, was 79 Wistful Vista the address of Fibber McGee and Molly right from the beginning in 1935? No, not the beginning. We didn't have an address and we didn't have a house in the beginning. In the beginning, we started selling a wax product called Carnew for the Johnson Company. Mm -hmm. We traveled around in a car for about a year. Really? Yes. What kind of a car was it? Oh, a broken down jalopy. And we'd <laughs> drive into filling stations and we'd get into the, that would lead into the car uh -huh. commercially. Uh -huh. When they decided to go on with it after the 26 weeks, see, we made a deal. In the beginning, we said we didn't care about what money we got. We only cared for one thing. They leave us on for 26 weeks. Don't stop us after 13. And they told us afterwards if, if they hadn't have done that, they probably would have dropped us after the 13 weeks because it was summertime to begin with. Uh -huh. We didn't bother them very much those first 13 weeks. <laughs> so when we wanted to settle down, they wanted to put us into a house. You know, have a home. Mm -hmm. So how will we get this house? Somebody conceived the idea of, uh, they didn't have any money, he didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. How are they going to get a house? We entered into a raffle on a real estate subdivision and we won it. We won the house in a <laughs> raffle. That's where we got it. <laughs> and the name of this town that was having this, this place was called Wistful Vista. In, Wistful is sad. Vista is view. So Wistful Vista was the place that had a sad view. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where Wistful Vista came from. And then we named our house the same as the town. 79 Wistful Vista. Jim and Marion Jordan's Fibber McGee and Molly was Tuesday at 9.30 p.m. appointment radio. 40 million people tuned in each week, and Fibber's Hall Closet became one of radio's most famous running gags. This is something that's very important. We learned that a long time ago with the Smith family. Uh-huh. You painted a picture the same as if you were doing it in a motion picture or doing it on a stage for people to see. You painted that picture so the people could see what they were laughing at. That was mm -hmm. the trick. Mm -hmm. We had a, an expression that we used, that, that don't get the picture. Uh -huh. if, you do, if you don't make a picture, you're not going anywhere. This is the way we thought about it anyway. On radio, the way we did it, there was no door, there was nothing. The, the man piled this stuff up on a stepladder way up to the ceiling, and then on a cue, he'd knock it over. It couldn't have been pictured the way we actually did it. <laughs> well, I think no that matter. was one of the great trademarks of the Fibber McGee and Molly show, the, uh, the hall closet. <laughs> the strange thing about it was that, especially in the last five, seven, eight years that we did it, we would do that as many as three times a year. That's all. And, and everybody that ever says anything about Fear McGee and Molly now, they always think of the closet, and they think that Fear McGee and Molly was a closet, you know? <laughs>
<laughs> and it's the truth that we wouldn't do it over two or three times in a year. Imagine you felt that. that the gag was wearing thin. We didn't want it to wear thin. We yeah. wanted to keep it alive as long as we possibly could. And sure. we talked about it and did keep it alive. Yeah. But we wouldn't actually do it. Boy, we'd have a big meeting about whether to do it or not. And what would Fibber say after the last tinkle, after the last crash? Got to straighten out that closet one these days. <laughs> <laughs> and the laughs across the nation, I'm sure, can still be heard if you listen carefully enough. The show's longtime writer was Don Quinn. But there was a thread of a story. Always. And everything happened around just a little light theme. Yes. I think the genius uh, behind that, of course, was Don Quinn. That's He'd right. come up with this line, and then the, the characters almost couldn't all, help but reacting in those different ways. All the storylines came out of a meeting. Mm -hmm. not, not that Don didn't bring them in, mm -hmm. but we would hash them over, and sometimes other people would bring in something that would become mm -hmm. a storyline. But he had the ability to... People are beginning to realize what a great writer he was now. I was over at Walt Disney Studios yesterday talking to some people. One of these fellows said to me, he said that Don Quinn, he, he was one of the great writers, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. And we hear that more now than we did 20 years ago, which is as it should be. Well, he was working then. He was uh, doing oh, his yeah. thing then, yeah. and they're creating these programs yeah. and the characters. But several times we would give up on a show on Monday noon. Mm. Just mm. We're ready. It's all on paper, ready to go. And it wasn't just coming off. I can remember him. He said, well, I'll, I'll start here and I'll take it home and I'll rewrite it tonight, Monday night. Mm. And we'd do it Tuesday. After television's proliferation, the program's audience rapidly shrunk. Longtime sponsor Johnson's Wax left in 1950. And by January of 1952, the show's rating was down to a 10.7. In 1953, with her health deteriorating, a doctor suggested to Marion Jordan that she take a long rest. She refused. She would continue performing. Production moved to the couple's home in Encino. The music was pre-recorded, and the commercials were no longer built into the show. It's time for Fibber, McGee, and Molly. Sundays through Thursdays, NBC brings you Fibber, McGee, and Molly transcribed. The show is written by Phil Leslie and Ralph Goodman and directed by Max Hutto. First, here are some words from our two friends that we'll let you listen in on. McGee, I watched a little red-haired tyke buying his weekly supply of candy today. Yeah? <laughs> two cents for licorice whips, 
A penny for jawbreakers? <laughs> oh, he had every one of his pennies carefully accounted for. Smart kid. Now, when he grows up... I know. He'll be able to balance his checkbook. More than that. He'll be able to handle the kind of problem a lot of folks with limited incomes face today. Budgeting for plain, everyday living expenses. And for other important things, too, like life insurance protection. Well, that's just exactly why the Prudential Insurance Company has those easy-to-budget weekly and monthly premium plans, isn't it? Yep. With these Prudential policies, folks who have to watch their dollars can make small weekly or monthly payments over the year and still enjoy regular life insurance protection. And for extra protection... These policies have valuable disability and accidental means death benefits. You can get them for every member of your family in amounts from, oh, a few hundred dollars up to several thousand dollars. And to make it really convenient, your Prudential agent calls at your home for the payments. Yes, and your Prudential agent will be glad to drop around and give you all the details. Just call him. Beginning on October 3rd, 1953, Fibber, McGee, and Molly became a 15-minute weekday serial. If you've been around Westful Vista in the past few days, you've noticed that the Elks Club has taken over the operation of Walt's Malt Shop and Hamburger Joint for the weekend. The food has been donated and the profits go to charity. Come on in, let's have a burger and see how business is. <laughs> Two burgers with. Two burgers with. Gotcha. Side of fries. Side of fries. One order of genuine southern style deep hash, please. One gambler's special. Gotcha. Oh, chef. Yeah. What happened to the bacon tomato on toast hole the french fries? Coming up. Take it easy. Oh, boy, the way them women throw the orders at you. Even my own wife yelling at me. My gosh, I only got two heads, or er, two hands. Well, I'm ready to go, Mr. McGee, with our advertising campaign. This should bring in lots of business. Yeah, hold on a sec, Wimp. I gotta get some more hamburgers on the fire. There, now let's see how you look. That sandwich board sign isn't gonna be too heavy for you, is it? Heavy? Mm-hmm. Mm. Don't be silly. I'm powerful, Mr. McGee. I've got uh, strength I haven't even used yet. Good. Now, all you have to do is go down the street there in the front of the carnival. Ham sandwich! Ham sandwich! Walk back and forth and let everybody read our ad on there. Yeah? What happened to my bacon tomato on? Coming up! Because once they get a look at that sign that I painted, they'll mob this place and we'll do more business than we ever... Coming up? McGee, you've been saying that for the past half hour. Now, my customer's getting... What are you made up for, Mr. Wimple? Well, I'm going... He's our advertising department, kiddo. Turn around, Wimp. Show her what it says on the sign. Hurry one, hurry one, hurry one. Those aren't ones. They're exclamation points, Molly. Oh! Hurry, hurry, hurry. Yeah. Two-hour special starting at noon. All you can eat for a dollar? That's it, kiddo. I just cleared it with the Elks Club Charity Committee. They gave me the okay. But all you can eat for a dollar, that seems... Look, we already made more than we expected to running this place over the weekend. We got nothing to lose. Either I guessed wrong and we lose a few bucks today, or I guessed right and we finish in a blaze of glory. I voted for the idea, Mrs. McGee. I, I like to live dangerously. Well, I hope it works out. Where's Mr. Wimple going with this sign of yours? That's the big idea, kiddo. There's a lot of new customers in the neighborhood today. Open that back door a minute, Wimp. And listen, Molly... Oh, for goodness sake. Sounds like... Yep. Carnival. I noticed them setting up in that vacant lot down the street when I came in this morning. Carnival people are always looking for a good, inexpensive place to eat. Well, who isn't? It's getting close to lunchtime right now. Quarter twelve. So off you go, Wimp. Go get them, boy. Sick them. Oh, I'll get them. All right, folks. Step right up. Don't miss the chance of a lifetime. Get this sensational offer at Walt's Small Shop today. Only... <laughs> boy, look at him go. 
Boy, he just loves that job. Yes, now talking about how you think of everything, what about that bacon tomato sandwich I've been waiting for? Oh, my gosh, I did it again. What? Burned your toast. Quick, get it out before it catches on fire like the last oh, time. Oh, dear. Is that what's been holding up that sandwich? Yeah, every time the toast is ready, Cora yells. What happened to those burgers not having sand? Yeah, and every time I take a look at her, yours gets burned. Make me some toast, huh? Please? Okay, I will. I've got to get these burgers off the fire and stir the french fries. Gee whiz, if I thought this chef's job was going to be so complicated, I'd have taken busboy like they offered it to me in the first One place. One frankfurt a sandwich, please. One dog. Two eggs over easy, side of sausage, chocolate sundae, stack of weeds. What happened to my two burgers with the ham sandwich? and Mrs. McGee? Your customer just left. You got tired of waiting? Good. Move over, dearie. I'll help you. Hand me the plates. You get the burgers. I'll get the ham sandwich if you'll hand me those pickles. Oh, the toast is burning again. This storyline from late May in 1955 has Fibber running his friend Walt's malt shop. There's more fun with the McGee's shortly. The final episode of the 15-minute serial format ran on March 23, 1956. After that, Jim and Marion joined NBC's Monitor in short vignettes. The show, uh, As Fibber McGee and Molly, as a half-hour radio show, went off the air in about 1954, didn't 53 it? 53 or 54, I yeah. And then we did a 15-minute show across the board for one year, and then we did Monitor for about three years. Yeah. In fact, when Marion became ill in 1960, in February, this cancer was discovered, and we were just, uh, the contract was made out for three more years of Monitor at that time. We never finished signing it. Well, that was one of the great losses to radio, certainly. But you were with uh, NBC for all those years, weren't you, Jim? We were with NBC for over 30 years. So don't delay. See your nearest Air Force recruiter right away and get the facts about your future as an airman. Remember, you'll go places faster. Put some more toast on, dearie. Yeah, uh, look, Molly, everything's under control now. You don't you don't have to stay back what? here. Soup du jour, please. Soup du jour, coming up. What'd you say, McGee? Radio is dying. And so is Marion. You go ahead and wait tables like In 1958, tests found that she had an inoperable form of cancer. Marion Jordan died at her home on April 7th, 1961. So you can get back to your tables before the mob starts pouring in here. The couple left an indelible mark on the comedy world, influencing many husband and wife sitcoms that came after. They lost Marion in 1961, and then there were no, no, no more new uh, Fibber and Molly performances on radio. No, couldn't be. The great sounds from 79 Whistle Vista, though, have continued to create pictures in our memories. He's over at the carnival, walking up and down with a sandwich sign that says, Hurry to Walt's Mall Shop, all you can eat for a dollar. And today, across the country, Jim and Mary and Jordan are still bringing pleasure to millions of listeners whenever one of those great Johnson's Wax programs is rerun. I believe the fact that they were not run and that I didn't, after Marion passed away, I didn't break my back trying to keep it alive. I wanted mm -hmm. to do things, but I never could do what I wanted to do. And I think the fact that that went on for all these years, which is about 10 years now, and, and the shows hadn't been done for, since 1953, actually, mm -hmm. 
the reason that all that has stayed away all this time is is what's making it uh, making it well uh, popular is the only word now I think that's what's bringing this resurgence at this point in other words if I'd have kept going all the time maybe there wouldn't be this interest in it now I have that feeling about it anyway well I think the quality of the broadcasts stands up well, it and, does. Uh, yeah. and that's what makes it uh, well received today by a whole new generation of people who never uh, before uh, imagined Fibber McGee and Molly. Well, the strange thing to me is that when, they, when all not radio nostalgia, the golden age of radio, you get the feeling, you know, I would imagine that people get the feeling, the only thing that was in the golden days of radio that was going on at that time was Fibber McGee and Molly because it's always mentioned. Right? And, and that's yep. strange to me because... Some of the Elks went over to the carnival and explained that this deal was all for charity, so the 10 oh, Boy, we had some great radio shows. Yeah, but you were one of the great well, radio Well, yeah, we were shows. only one, though, but mm. Benny and Burns and Allen and uh, Bergen mm. and Red Skelton, those shows were just great. I don't, and it's strange that uh, there's something about it that makes people. I think it's that word. Well, I, uh, <laughs> well, it's a it's a great word, but you see, you were unique to radio. Fibber McGee and Molly is an NBC Radio Network production transcribed with Bill Thompson as the old timer and Wallace Wimple, Elvia Allman as Cora, and Myra Marsh as Mrs. Bradley. Ladies, is your girdle uncomfortable? Well, tomorrow night, Mr. McGee finds out just how miserable they can make one. This is John Wall saying, don't miss this drama tomorrow on Fibber, McGee, and Molly. Join the great Gildersleeve for more fun in Summerfield tonight on the NBC Radio Network. Although Fibber, McGee, and Molly has been off the air since the 1950s, the show remains popular. NBC and Johnson's Wax saved over a combined 700 episodes. Most are available online today in good to great listening quality.